I just was always told, you know, you'll be part of a group and you'll do what you're told and hopefully you'll rise through the ranks and you'll have an amazing career. I think so many dancers, because you're naturally kind of put in a, a compartment, you don't think you can do these things. And we've learned by doing because, my God, we made some mistakes, you know. Hello and welcome to Red Lips and High Kicks with your host, Lydia Holt. Thank you for tuning in this week and a big warm welcome to all the new listeners that found us this week. It has been an amazing two weeks and a big, big thank you to Titans for sponsoring me and enabling me to bring you two episodes with two killer dancers that made so many of you found us. So if you are new, I hope you enjoy and I really hope you choose to stick around. Today's episode is with Charlie Peters, or as I should call her by her stage name, Lola Latiz. Selfishly, I think I just wanted any excuse to have a sit down with Charlie. We have so much in common. We both trained at Elmhurst Ballet School and she used to work where I work now at the Friedrichstadt Palast in Berlin. It's an amazing company where you do have to be tall, you do have to be a ballet dancer, but what we do is jazz, it's showgirl, it's sexy, it's exciting. And it was so lovely to talk to someone who has had a similar experience as me. It was whilst she was in Berlin that she discovered her love for burlesque. And you'll hear in the episode, it was sort of accidental, but it was so exciting to hear from her and hear this point of view and the way her career has shifted and changed. She's a really great example of you never really know where you're going and you have to just keep your eyes open and keep enjoying yourself to find the path and the right fit for you. She never thought she'd end up as a burlesque dancer, but she did and she loves it. And I think definitely we need to be reminded that things do happen for a reason and we will all find our place eventually. So thank you so much, Charlie, for coming over to my kitchen and having a cup of tea with me. It was so lovely to actually connect with you and you shared so much and it reminded me the importance of talking and connecting and finding people who have things in common with you that you can find comfort in. So big thank you to Charlie for being that person for me. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and like I said, I really hope new listeners choose to tune in. You can find us on Instagram at redlips.highkicks and be sure to subscribe and leave a comment below. It really, really helps. I hope you all have a great day and stay excellent. Hello, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining me. And our listeners, you probably won't notice, but this is a very different interview because Charlie is sat opposite me. We've got two mugs of tea. We are socially distancing, COVID, but she lives in Berlin, so it was so lovely to actually sit down with her and really talk in person. How are you, Charlie? <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to actually be able to look in your eyes and yeah. see you. <laughs> it's nice to meet the only the only other Brit in Berlin. Yeah, I know, exactly. I mean, this is one of the like, best things about talking to you is this. We're so unique, I think, British people, and especially when you come abroad, you cling to your nationality so much more, and I've definitely found that. As soon as I came out here, started watching The Crown, drank way more tea, I was like obsessed with British culture, because I missed it, I missed it so much, and uh, it's lovely to kind of have a little bit of England back home with me. <laughs> totally agree, totally. So my first question, before we just natter on, is what has this year taught you? Oh, this year has been, um, yeah, it's been really shit for everyone, especially freelance artists that, yeah, as we'll get on to, I'm now freelancing since three years. And um, yeah, I think this year especially, it's, it's really like, really kind of like hit home how how much I need this job and, and not even just on the financial side, but just like how much we love it because we are so lucky to do something we're so passionate about. Yeah. And very few people can say that. Mm. But even so, the day-to-day -day life, it does become mundane. Yeah. And there have been days, many a day in my career, where I've been like, oh, I don't want to go to work today. And it's just kind of been a little bit nice to realize, you know, just to re rekindle that love yeah. for what I do. I know, fuck, I really, oh, can I swear? <laughs> 
to just realize, God, I really love it. Yeah. And without it, I am so lost. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you know, sometimes it's nice to take something away to really realize how much you love it. And obviously as dancers like mature and maybe your love for it changes or, or, or does go after time. And this is just really, you know, really proven to me that I still love what I do and I still want to do it and I still need to do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so just hoping that um can do it again soon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's so nice to hear because I think it's so, like you said, your relationship does change over your career. And mm -hmm. I think when you come out of school, you're so hungry. Mm -hmm. First job, you're like raring to go, but actually you're so right that you can have an amazing career as you've had and done all these things and you still love it and you still want it and it doesn't go away and it can be an injury or it can be anything that gives yeah. you the space away from it but the space does prove what is important and you know, for so many people it's just to get back on stage. Yeah absence makes the heart grow fonder yeah. and it's just really <laughs> hit home that this is definitely still what I want to do and then on like kind of the contour of that is the fact that you know I, I am 31 and you know, the time span for a dance is short anyway. It's like the, you know, the, the very sad kind of thing that what we do is so wonderful, but it's also so short. Yeah. And obviously I haven't really thought about the next chapter of my life much, and hopefully I don't need to, but doing so little this year has really made me, you know, made me think a little bit, okay, what will I do next? You know, in my personal life, in my next chapter of my life, what do I want? What's my next career step? If the theaters are closed for a while, or not, with or without COVID, my life is moving forward in a direction which might not always involve dance. So it's interesting also to, you know, yeah. have to think about that. No, definitely. And I think it's, you're right, the acknowledgement of how, of how short our career is is so painful. And it's something, I, again, I think about a lot right now when I've got a lot of time left, but I still think it's the... It's just a fear of running out. No one likes that ticking time, mm -hmm. like, but it is there. And I think one of the saddest things, and I don't want to be too depressing because this is a happy <laughs> podcast, is I do feel I've lost a career, like a year of my career. And, you know, it's, but then I think I try and like cushion that and soothe that with, okay, I might have lost a year, but I have matured and I have taken, like we've just said, taken something from this year that actually might, you know, accelerate my next few years maybe yeah. it, like you said it reminds me of how much I love it so actually maybe I won't need as much time to get to my next goal because I've rekindled this fire and it will really push me there faster exactly I think this reiteration of just like how much we love it is never a bad thing to realize and yes it's a missed year but it's a missed year for everyone exactly. it's not like any you know in terms of like you know not like some people are speeding ahead and grabbing the roles you wanted it, it's not like that you know? yeah. everyone's on the standstill yeah. the age thing is of course something to think about but you don't need to think about that yet <laughs> <laughs> and obviously people who don't know you can you tell us how you got here how you got into dancing and what brought you to Berlin Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, my life, my, my, my life, my dancing life started relatively late in terms of like doing it properly. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always one of those kids who was just, you know, always dancing and moving and performing. Um, you know, you know, there's really horrible kids you hate who are just like showing off constantly. And I remember having friends over to play and we'd have to do a show for my mum and dad every time. And I think it became very clear to my parents they had to put me into some sort of class for this. I had yeah. to have an outlet. And I started doing stagecoach mm -hmm. every Saturday. And um, I think then my love of musical theatre really grew. I, it's always been, I love to act, I love to sing, I love to dance. And that was really like kind of like the first time I realised I want to perform. And I guess that was around around seven or eight. Mm -hmm. 
And then once I was there, they had said, oh, you know, she's, she's really good at the dance side and actually her body would be really great for ballet. Mm. And I remember, I don't know why, but I think even like a few weeks before that, I'd said to my mum, I have this image of sitting on my mum and dad's bed and being like, I want to do ballet. And my mum was like, why? You'd be terrible. You're so undisciplined. You're so chatty. I'd always get taller for talking at school. They're like, this will be the worst <laughs> thing for you. And I was just like, no, I, I think I want to do this. And, and they found me a ballet teacher. And I was, I was nine, so I was really late. Okay, yeah. And they found me this ballet teacher where we lived. And my mum had just got a recommendation from someone else. But she actually turned out to be a really, really good ballet teacher. Like one of the best in the area. And my mum called her and she said, and she said, oh, well, you know, I'm actually retired, but I will take a look at her. And my mum was like, okay, is this normal? My family has no dance background. So my mum was a bit like, okay. And I went there and I did, I'd done a few maybe classes in the past, just like really easygoing stuff, nothing, no grades. And anyway, I did a little class with her. And I remember afterwards, she came out and said to my mum, yes, two things, I will take her on, but she will be auditioning for the Royal Ballet School next year. And um, I will be calling her Charlotte because Charlie is not an appropriate name for a ballet dancer. No. (laughs) That is so old school, isn't it? (laughs) And it's so funny because that's always stuck by me and throughout my entire ballet career, I always adamantly have been written Charlie on the websites and programs just to kind of like push it through. Yeah, that's so funny. What an unusual thing to have a problem with at that age. And, and she was right. She worked me hard. And then following, uh, yeah, I think it was two years later, I joined White Lodge, mm. um, which was wonderful. Really most wonderful years of my life, I have to say. It was just such a dream at that school. And then to join the upper school, I then moved to Elmhurst in Birmingham, mm-hmm. uh, which I know you also yes. went to. <laughs> and um, it's funny because I it was like a... Obviously, when you're at White Lodge, everyone's dream is to go to the upper school. Yeah. And it was like... Um, for me, it was super hard. I remember my final year, I was tall. I was always tall. And they were always warning us, you know, like my parents and myself, like this could be an issue. And I was lucky because I always had the the weird ballet physique, I had very bendy feet, very hyperextended legs, um, small head, long, <laughs> long neck and arms. And so, you know, they always said, you know, you know, her body's, her body's great. So it was just a real kind of like, oh my God, apparently it's not now. Apparently I'm getting too tall and, and what can one do? Yeah. Um, and I, it was in my final year that they were like, yeah, you know, she's just really too tall for the upper school. Monica Mason wants smaller girls for the core and we're having to feed in smaller girls. So, but it's funny cause it really broke my heart. A 16 wow. year old, like, oh my God, mm. but it's so funny. I'm a true believer in everything happens for a reason because Elmhurst, yeah, it just, it was the right place for me. I had like a kind of cool confidence arriving there knowing that I was like, you know what? I've been to White Lodge. I felt... I, I just was a more confident person than I think I would have been at the Royal Ballet Upper School yeah. with, you know, all the foreigners they eventually, they take in at that level. It, the White Lodges can often get brushed aside. And I just think it was the best, um, the best place for me. Mm. And so after graduating Elmhurst, I was really lucky in my final year because a great teacher, again, who I would never have met if I hadn't have gone to Elmhurst, mm-hmm. kind of put me in the eye line of um, the director of the Slovak National Ballet. And he'd come to the school for our final exam and yeah. kind of picked a few of us. So it was lucky. We were really lucky because we were, I think we were five or six of us, three boys, three girls. And we just moved to Slovakia. Wow. Um, <laughs> it was before Bratislava was in the Euro. It was like super, different, like, so oh my God, Eastern Bloc. It was cold. Uh, no one spoke English. Yeah. 
But thank God we were together. Yeah, I was like, thank God she didn't go alone. I would be a lot yeah. younger by yourself. Wow. And as rando as it sounds, again, it was such a good first job. And I was so lucky because my cohorts in the third year of the upper school, um, I know the upper school does limit where you're allowed to audition. Mm. And they wouldn't have been allowed to audition for, like, you know, a lesser European company. And so I was really thankful that I had a first job because it really was very rare to get a ballet company job. Um, fresh out of school and it was great because we got so many opportunities yeah. I got to dance like the big swans in my like third month like you just yeah. don't get that anywhere yeah. and I got like a, a nice solo role I was Marilyn Monroe which is funny because I always think that that was like an indicator of what was to come yeah. later Interesting. <laughs> it was like a high-heeled role and I'd never really done high-heeled stuff and it was a bit <laughs> sensual and it always makes me laugh to think maybe they saw something in me which yeah. was going to come out later because I was real, like, you know, focused on the ballet. I love mm. ballet. So I danced in Slovakia for three years, mm. a really nice, happy three years. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, I'd seen it as a stepping stone company and I really wanted to go on to, like, a, you know, also when you're young, all you care about is the name of the company you're in. Course, you don't yeah. realize that actually what's important is where you fare in the company and what you do. Mm. And so always on my like horizon was the Dresden Semper Opera. I just loved this company. I loved their repertoire. I loved that all the girls are really tall. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was all about like the look which I had, like these Amazonian sort of women. Mm. Um, he loved legs and feet and, um, and they really like actresses. And this okay. was definitely my forte. I had nice lines because of my body, but I'm, I'm an actress first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I was never the dancer who could turn seven pirouettes or had a crazy jump, mm -hmm. but I was the actress. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was, yeah, after I auditioned for Dresden twice, and then, yeah, my third season of the Slovak National Ballet, I got a job in Dresden. Oh. And for me, that was like, I've made it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. And there is always that sort of level of when you achieve that you can officially say, I've made it, this is it, and uh, I mean, yeah, what a company, and amazing, world-renowned, and definitely made it. <laughs> I think it was like the first, um, maybe even the only time in my life where I knew what I wanted and I got it. Mm. Everything else which has happened, which has been amazing, has been unplanned. Yeah. This was the one time that I was like, I want that so badly because the rep of Balanchine and, and uh, Foresight especially, I was like, this is my place. But, you know, that said, it's really interesting because it wasn't the best place for me in the end. It was like the dream I wanted so badly. And once I was there, um, I was there for three years. It was really, I do three years everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it was a great, it was a wonderful company, but in contrast to uh, Slovak National Ballet, I was very much a little fish in a big pond now. Mm. And it knocked my confidence a lot. I was, um, it's a tough company, it's a very tough director, he's quite infamous, and uh, it was a struggling, it was a struggle over three years, and it was by the end of that third year that I was just, I was, I got injured a lot, because the rep was so demanding, and it was just kind of, we came to a point with the director, and he was just like, look, he was like, you know, I really like you, you could be so much, but I just don't see it yet, and yeah, and when I got let, let go from Dresden, that was a real like, oof, okay, like, yeah. now what do I do? Because I'm only 25. Mm. And I'd always said to myself, if at 25, I'm not a, a soloist, a young, young, yeah, <laughs> young host. It's like dreams, it's markers, <laughs> yeah. Then I will try and go back to my original love of musical theatre yeah. and other performance because I think 
there's always been a part of me that has just, I love ballet, mm. but I was always like, I always got like the kind of essential roles. I was always the Spanish dancer or the harlot in Romeo yeah. and Juliet. I was always like the actressy flirty role. And I remember even there was like a, a, a thing in Swan Lake where I was I told I got told off because apparently I didn't even realize it. I was, you know, giving the prince like an eye or something. And they were like, you're a swan. You cannot be flirtatious in this moment. <laughs> And I think in Dresden Semprof, there's still like a slutty swan at the end who like, with the runoff, stays and gives like Siegfried a little over the shoulder like look. And that was because I did it in rehearsal once as a joke. And That's I, so good. <laughs> so I guess I, I, always, I always felt that performance wise, there was just so more I want, much more I yeah. wanted to give, which ballet just wasn't letting me give. Yeah. And um, yeah, as I was like looking around and auditioning for places, a couple of friends had said, well, you know, in Berlin, which is like one of the neighboring cities, mm. there's this place called the Friedrichstadt Palace, and it's a showgirl palace, and you could be great. So I gave it a go. I auditioned there. I got the job on the day. I was very lucky. But I was very much in like a bit of a ballet head, and I was like, oh, do I want to take this? Because yeah. I knew it would be saying goodbye to a huge part of my life, my entire life. Yeah. Like, at that point had been all about ballet training for ballet and then I'd been working professionally in ballet for six years and I knew that it would be really the end of a chapter I wouldn't be able to go back because as you know working there you do daily ballet class every day but it will not be enough yeah to yeah, get you back in focus really yeah. focus yeah um and the director she said to me I think she saw I was hesitant and she was like look just watch the show tonight and I was like oh okay um never want to turn down a free show yeah <laughs> And I watched the show that night and I think about 10 minutes in, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, what is this? I literally, I was like, I think in the interval, I was like looking for the director, like, I, I take it, I take it. Because it was just something I'd never seen before. Yeah, and it just it like, exactly, as you know. And, and my first weeks there were tough because I was such a ballerina. Uh, and I'd always been like the actress in the ballet company, the performer, the performing one. And suddenly I was in a company where they were all great Everyone performers exactly, because yeah. they all knew exactly. Because your distance in ballet between yourself and the audience is a very aloof distance. It's yeah, lovely. you can't see them normally. Exactly. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, you have people two meters from the edge of the stage, maybe even closer, and you're looking at people directly and, and it's just, and the style of dancing is just so much more you just connect more yeah i mean i just it's entertaining i it's just a real entertainment in in my opinion again I, I love ballet and it was my first love and i still appreciate it but it's of an entirely different realm and caliber to what we do at palace and yeah i think the engagement with the audience and the the connection and the like electricity is present in every single show which mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you're in the corps de ballet and you're miles step right at the back and the orchestra pits in the way and the stalls and you don't even see the audience so yeah you get that every night here for sure I think that really like just awoken awakened <laughs> god I've been in Berlin too long the English is going I think it really awakened like a different kind of love of dance then yeah. because I was like wow uh, in my ballet, it was often a bit selfish. I was just thinking about me. What role am I doing? Um, am I doing it well? Am I happy with that show? Was I? It was all about me. And suddenly, yeah. like these shows, you're a big group, a collective, mm -hmm. and um, and it's all about giving the audience the best time, which I do, I do think can sometimes get forgotten in ballet. But it's yeah. a different type of dance as yeah. well, so it's difficult to compare. But I think that kind of was like, ooh, this is this is good. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I really enjoyed it, and I. 
I definitely like found a new, I just was among these women who really inspired me because they were all like me, they were all long-legged and tall and, and they all had this like, you know, this assured sexuality and sensuality, which was just so inspiring and so like empowering. And I was like, oh, I want to be like that. Yeah. So it was like, I very much like learned by watching and, yeah. and yeah, it was, it was a great three years. No, it's, and it's so everything you talk about, I completely understand. Obviously, you know, it's the phase I'm in right now and, and I think for such a long time, and you've touched upon it already, being tall, you're always apologising for yourself. And I think particularly in England, again, I'm so thankful my, mm-hmm. for my school. I love the companies and I love the British system. But I never had a teacher that was taller than me. Like, all, yeah. the, all my teachers were tiny and they were beautiful. Like, the footwork, the Ashton, like, it was all stunning. But they never had, like, no one taught me how to be tall. I didn't really feel like I appreciated the things I could do. Yeah. And, it, and it, it definitely showed in auditions. And when I applied for class, I gave them the wrong height on my CV because I was so used to showing <laughs> yeah. it that they were like, oh, no, so you're not right fit. And I was like, this is the one job where I can be tall. And I sent them the wrong CV. <laughs> Thankfully, it's still And they're like, me. so you're under the, you're yes. under the height range. <laughs> I was like, no, I actually am. Um, That's so but true. But it is, and being in an environment where you see people like you, it's incredibly powerful. And it gives you a confidence to be like, oh damn I'm, I'm not wrong I'm actually right you know I just was in the wrong place and I think that experience you have when you're 16 it cuts it cuts a lot I and held it forever exactly and when you're young you're already like underconfident and you're so susceptible to those teachers and those people who are above you so when someone says something like no matter how good you are your body's great but you're just not right it's it's crushing it's so so crushing and it can end a lot of careers which is really really sad and it's a shame because like the same thing you said about White Lodge and I felt the same at Elmhurst it's just it's storybook isn't it these British ballet schools are just storybook and I always think I always say in school if I gave up tomorrow I would remember my school days not as like you know lockers and like you know weird yeah. cafeterias I remember my, my school days as tutus and like going to the studio yeah. and they're just it's really enchanting uh, we're so lucky to have been a part of those systems uh, it's so cliche to say your school days were the best years but I think we were really lucky they were they yeah, were idyllic exactly so so nice I think you you said it already and I think it's a it's a quite big issue that I didn't feel prepared for was that sort of cliff edge you have when you're leaving school and if you don't get a job you fail Mm. and it was something I believed in so much so that I think it literally unwound me it really broke me in half because I thought I'd failed I thought everything I had done to that point wasn't enough because I didn't get there Mm -hmm. and it's horrible it's really really horrible I don't really know where it comes from but it's a tough environment when you do judge others and you and you have like a stigma against people who go on a cruise ship or they do something else yeah. and it takes a long time for you to kind of come back round to yourself and you said that you always had that musical theatre in you. Was that your experience at school? Um, yeah, I think so. It's really interesting that you say that because it was definitely kind of ground into us a little bit at school, you know, that, you know, the only direction was ballet. Yeah. And I was super lucky that I even got my, my job, I got it in December of my final year. Oh, nice. So I was so lucky because I didn't have the stress of, you know, times are ticking, graduation's exactly. coming and I'm yeah. auditioning and wasting money. I'm super grateful of that. Mm. And um, obviously my best friend, Ashley Shaw, went mm. on a cruise ship, which at that time was a little bit frowned yeah, upon. Yeah, and it was for me too. And, yeah. and maybe in the, my heart of hearts, I also was like, I didn't, and I would love to do a cruise ship mm. now. Mm. My God, like that is like, for me, seems an ideal job. Yeah, it's yeah. so bad that we are really, yeah. And, and, it, and it's interesting because as much as like my six years dancing professional ballet, ballet companies, they gave me so much. Mm. I think it was like the surprising step into Showgirl and Friedrichstadt Palast, which enriched me the most as an artist, yeah, yeah. because I learned what an audience wants and how to give it 
And at the end of the day, like, this art form, it isn't about us. Mm-hmm. It's about the people watching us. And yeah. of course, there are there are parts and we all want to be like, you know, a certain level in, a, in, the, yeah. in the hierarchy. It's like a personal um, achievement goal. Yeah. But at the yeah. end of the day, the whole point of this career and this industry is it starts off with yeah. giving entertainment to the people watching and uh, it can be forgotten. So I think Palast really like helped teach me that, which helped my next mm. stage in life. Yeah. And can we talk about that? Because I'm dying <laughs> to hear this. And this is just, again, why I'm so happy that you're talking to me because it's a career, you can't really get two things further apart. Mm-hmm. And I think it also really just demonstrates how you never like you never know what direction you're going and you never know what shoe's going to fit until you try. So tell us about your introduction into burlesque. Oh my goodness. Okay, so it happened uh, almost six years ago. So I just joined Friedrichstadt Palast. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that first year of mine, um, a, a group of girlfriends who I'd got quite close to, um, I'd kind of heard like under hush-hush whispers that they were planning to create their own burlesque show. And it was all a bit like, yeah, under wraps, because as you know, when you're at Palast, it's very strict. You cannot work anywhere else. And um, so I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. And I didn't know anything about burlesque. I knew of Dita Von Tees and that was it. Yeah. I guess to me, I thought it was, yes, I just thought about stripping and yeah, it wasn't really, especially being English, you know, this wasn't like, you know, we are typically a little bit pruder than other countries. It really wasn't on my radar in any sense. In actual fact, when I was at Elmhurst, someone had even talked about that I'd be good for the Lido. And I was like rather shocked, like, but topless dancing? (laughs) Goodness me, like no way. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, these girls had put together a burlesque because they'd seen a lot of burlesque in Berlin because it's such like an enriched capital of cabaret and burlesque Mm. and they'd seen a lot of burlesque found it very interesting and realized that obviously with their dance background it would just add a whole other level to it and so they put together the show and it was the end of my first year in the palast and it was a week before their show we were looking forward to watching them Mm. in this little bar in berlin and the week before their mc cancelled on them I don't know why he did that, but luckily for me, um, one of the girls in the group had obviously said to the other girls, well, what about Charlie? She's such a talker and she also sings and I think she could be good, like, you know, to jump in. So they approached me and said, would you be interested in, you know, learning the script and, and, and jumping on board to be our host next week? And I was completely flattered and I was like, of course, I jumped on it. Um, any chance to use my voice? Yeah. <laughs> Microphone in hand, absolutely. I'm ready. <laughs> so I was just like a hundred percent, and we did the show, and the girls were wonderful, and it was it was quite basic, very rudimentary. Like each girl just did one act, and in between, I um, basically just introduced them. I didn't even say much, just introduced and had a few little jokes, a bit of gags, but that was about it. Um, and it went really well. And straight away the venue said, oh, do you want to do another night? And the girls, you know, they had said to me, oh, it was even better than planned because they were going to originally have a drag queen. Okay. And they were like, no, we love that it's a woman actually mm-hmm. hosting because then it's like, you know, a real like yeah, yeah. feminine empowered show. And they were like, yeah, please like stay on with us. So I was like, I was so, I was really happy and it was great. So I think the next couple of years whilst I was at Palast, we just kind of grew this little company. So the group is called De Glamoresque. Mm-hmm which obviously is like burlesque and glamour and um, we are a group of four ladies and um, we, I think we were really lucky because once we got that kind of first good show we were like okay great okay so I wanted to sing a song so I was like okay I'm going to sing this to open the show and then another girl loved this music so she created an act to this song and then 
we started realizing that we could do group numbers, which no one else in burlesque was doing, mm. because to have like a group undressing, you needed to have choreography. To have choreography, you need to have good dancers. Interesting. And in the first couple of shows, I just hosted and I sang, and I was very much like, yes, I don't want to, I don't want to strip. <laughs> I was very much like, yeah, I love it. You guys are amazing, but it's not for me. Yeah. And I think there was one show where my uh, my now uh, co-producer Tara, she was like, I'll be really good at the end of this show if we like, you know, undress you. How funny because we've all been undressing after our various acts, and it'd be so good in the finale when we were doing like a final dance yeah. if you also undress. So I was mm. like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, anyway, of course, I, I did it in the end and it was so exhilarating really? to just be on stage. It's so funny because obviously in burlesque you do wear nipple tassels, mm. so you're not completely topless. <laughs> um, and they're tiny, but they mean so much yeah. because it's such security because <laughs> it's covering your most intimate part. Yeah. Yet you still have this freedom and excitement of, oh my goodness, I'm yeah. topless on stage <laughs> and they're cheering and screaming at yeah. me, but you have that slight little safe zone yes yeah i can and uh and that was it basically i was just addicted i was like fuck that's amazing and um and then after that i start i created my first solo which then got put in the show and then we created more and more group acts and just the group just like took momentum a couple of girls left and then eventually it was coming to a point um i mean it was getting kind of hard with friedrichstadt palast of course yeah because I wasn't supposed to be doing anything. Mm -hmm. And the other girls in the group had at that point now left the Palast and were doing it full time. So it was myself, uh, Tara and Rose producing it. And they'd left and I mean, I was doing a double show at Friedrichstadt Palast on a Saturday and then running down the road to Bauhaus Berlin, which is at the end of Chelsea to do a, a deglamorous show. like. At the I'm moment, I'm exhausted doing now just yeah. one glamorous show. I don't know how I did it, but adrenaline is an amazing drug. And if you were loving it as I well, did. that gives you such a push. It just gave me such a taste because we were, we were, uh, you know, creating, we were choreographing, we were creating acts, we were creating costumes, we were meeting with venues, we were meeting with a lot of corporate um, events because they people wanted like showgirl routines, and we were very much basing ourselves. It was coming we were very inspired by the crazy horse and very inspired by the movie burlesque which is actually quite frowned upon in the burlesque world but with our dance background we were able to bring a more commercial side to burlesque which was really popular within corporate industry and it was just like really getting momentum and there were obviously it was getting bigger and there were posters of us in the city and palace could see this and then there was i think there was there was one newspaper article where i was like on the front page uh with tara and we were you know not wearing so much and it was at Pala and they had the newspaper in their hand. And the only reason I didn't get fired was because, thank God, it said on the front page, like, burlesque artists Tara Dasan and Lola Latiz, oh, and not our names. Me. So it was the, although it was plain as day, it was me. Smart. So yeah, this was at the, coming to the end of my third year at Palast, and basically the director like was like, look, we know what's going on. <laughs> and it was getting to a point where they were like, look, we can't really ignore this anymore because this project's getting bigger and you need to be a face of Palast. Because I was also lucky enough to be one of the poster girls for the oh. Palast show. Okay. So it was the Jean-Paul Gaultier one. So it was just, I get it. It was a conflict yeah, of interests. Of and and basically the director kind of gave me a bit of an ultimatum. was like, look, um, you need to make a decision. And I was like, okay, then I, I choose I choose to glamoresque. I choose this. Because wow. I'd had a taste of creating something. Yeah, being your own boss, being which own, is yeah. so rare as a dancer, particularly a yeah. ballet dancer. And the business side of things yeah. I found especially intriguing. I'd never, I think as dancers, because we don't tend to, 
I mean, I was quite, I was quite academic at school, but obviously my focus wasn't there. And I never thought about like sales mm. or business and actually in, in kind of starting this career and, and joining this group and now, and now co-producing it, I've really learned, um, I really enjoy that side of things, the business side. And it's so funny because I wasn't, didn't go to business school. I didn't do anything like this. It's just, it comes naturally, naturally with the territory. And as a dancer, you're, you're confident and poised. Um, often you can be, you're articulate mm. and you're, and you're just professional. Yes. Yeah. And that just comes from all these years. Yeah. And it also just comes from the variety of experience you have. You've built confidence, but also you are highly skilled and you're not coming to this being like, Oh, I think it's a good idea. You're like, no, I am highly skilled. This is. I'm like qualified, quote unquote, to do this and yeah. like take me seriously. And I think that that has such a heavy weight. And for so many people, they don't know. If you're a business person trying to sell dancers, you don't really know what you're selling. But if you're a dancer selling dancers, like it makes so much sense. And again, you have that confidence to, to know what you're talking about. And it's so easy to sell a product which you believe in yeah. because I wholeheartedly love, um, I love what I do now and I love the group and I love... Um, I love the doors it's opened up to me because I had no idea that I was capable. You know, the three of us do everything. We, wow. we choreograph, we produce, we negotiate business meetings, we cut the music, we do the lighting, we do the tech writer, we write the scripts. Like, it's just everything. And there have been times when we've thought, so it's now been running for, yeah, five, five and a half years. And there have been times when we've thought, oh my God, you know, should we hire a manager or, you know, someone? And, the end of the day, I mean, it's not just about the money that would spend, but it's also just like no one would do it how we want it to yeah. be done. I don't think anyone can sell it like we can sell it. Mm. And um, and I think this whole kind of the empowering feeling this gives you on stage is just unbelievable. Being one's own boss, it was just something which no one ever told me that that was possible as a dancer, really. Yeah. I just was always told, you know, you'll be part of a group and you'll do what you're told and hopefully you'll rise through the ranks and you'll have an amazing career. There was no like... Yeah, maybe you'll be in business negotiations and you'll be doing this and you'll be able to like it was just I just never and it and I think so many dancers because you're naturally kind of put in a, a compartment you don't think you can do these things and we've learned by doing because my god we made some mistakes you know contractual things in the past and but these days I think you know we've done a pretty decent job I think we arrive at meetings prepared and professional and yeah it's um it's so interesting and i think you're right and the freelance world does really scare me and i've got the utmost respect for some of my friends in london who just have to constantly hustle not even like hustle with a side job but be constantly looking at the ads mm -hmm. be showing up to castings to auditions sending reels like always on it and that does boggle my brain and i had an experience of doing it for a few months when i was in between jobs and i didn't like it i think i crave security or at least right now yeah. i need that like regimented paycheck and I guess it's unusual for you to normally you think it's freelance into security but forgot to go from security into freelance is a bit unusual and yeah. you know risky I guess and what were like the biggest things you learned from yeah like losing the security I think yeah that decision was really huge um I was lucky to see my fellow like colleagues obviously doing well and the group was doing so well that it wasn't like jumping into like this abyss of will yeah. I won't I I'd seen the company, our group was making money. I saw the potential of where it was going and I was like, okay, this is not, I'm gonna be okay. Yes, yeah. So it wasn't like a pure risk, but you're mm. right. It's still, especially in a year like this one, mm. um, it's a totally different like, yeah. yeah, when it comes to like financial security. And yeah, I think one of the hardest things I found, I've never been one for much self-discipline. <laughs> And I do think that is what a freelancer has to learn because it's so nice to have a daily routine and being told what to do, yes, starting from yeah. morning ballet class to knowing what time 
you know, your makeup's at to going on the stage. Yeah. And I think I'm someone who really benefits from this routine and it was really tough mm. to like, you know, be like, okay, I've got to, I've got to structure my day. I've got to get this done and that done. Yeah. And I'm still very much like lastminute.com. Like I won't <laughs> choreograph an act until like, you know, maybe the week before the, the events asked me to do it or, yeah. but I think self-discipline has been the hardest thing for me to try and achieve since yeah. freelancing yeah no it's really interesting and I'm also really intrigued to ask you about the nudeness of it <laughs> because like you've said it already I particularly feel in as British people we are a little bit more conservative a little bit like prudish and kind of just like to see it and maybe not you know involve and again coming from a ballet background where our bodies are so highly scrutinized and not everyone has a good relationship with their body mm-hmm. and for you to get to a place where you can happily take your clothes off and feel good and find it exciting not terrifying how was that journey for you exactly i think in the beginning i like i said i my first kind of um experience of undressing on stage was with the other girls because it was in a group number and that was actually really fine because yeah. i was like i've got three more girls next to me like mm-hmm. we look great we feel great yeah. For me, creating my first burlesque solo was hard because burlesque solos are really, um, they're so personal. You, you choose a music which inspires you, you choose a theme which inspires you, you choreograph it, you cut your own music, you create your own costume, which takes hours, you know, weeks, years, thousands of pounds or euros or whatever. And it's just such a labor of love. But by the time you bring it to the stage, you're just so ready to show it. But the first time was really scary mm. because it's not even, I think maybe for showgirls like at the Lido when you're just coming on already undressed. Yes, this is true. It's yeah. kind of easier. Yeah, you've like prepared yourself and you've seen yourself in the mirror before you've gone yes. on stage. But I think because the main part of burlesque is not being undressed, it's the, t- it's the tease. Mm. And so it's not, you've got to be so confident. It's got to be, if they see in your eyes that you're a little bit uneasy or you're not feeling yourself, like yeah. it, they, it's suddenly it's uncomfortable for them. Mm. Nobody wants to see someone taking off their of course, clothes who's of not comfortable. Yeah. And so in the beginning, it was definitely like a bit of like fake it till you make it. Mm. And then slowly, gradually I started, you know, and also I think with the type of burlesque I do in which our group does because we are all professional dancers, it's very dance-based. Okay. So it's very choreographed, and people often are like, oh my God, you know, it was, it's such an art form when you, when you do it because it's, it's dance yes, yeah. with an undress rather than just it's all about the strip. Yeah. So I think that definitely saves me also because when I am nervous, I know I have my dance training, my dance background, my dance technique, mm. just the way I hold myself, which ballet taught me, gets noticed at burlesque events. Mm. People say, wow, you look like a ballet dancer. <laughs> I was a ballet dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. But it's, and I think that is also what kind of like catapulted us into like the, the higher um, yeah, enjoyment of burlesque in, in, in Germany and, and now Europe were quite well known, mm. which is lovely because naturally dance training just gives you glamour and class mm. uh, because it just looks for the untrained eye who just don't really know what they're looking at they just know they like what they're seeing because it's the commercial side and i think that's always been my safeguard knowing that i have this Mm. and then the actual taking off each item you just have to find some in the audience and just play with them and you know and just feel just feel confident i think it really is faking it till you make it because i was never not body confident. I've, okay. I've been lucky. Like I haven't had, you know, too many bad experiences being in the ballet world. 
but being body confident and being naked are yes. very different things. <laughs> and exactly, and but it's funny. I think burlesque has definitely made me love my my body more because in the beginning I was obviously I had a ballet dancer's body mm-hmm. and I was very skinny, and I've definitely like the last three years since leaving full time mm-hmm. work and focusing a hundred percent on burlesque. Um, you know my natural curves, which I would have always had mm-hmm. if I hadn't have danced full time, have come through. And as hard as that kind of mentally has yes, been, yeah. to be like, oh gosh, I'm not that ballet toned. Yeah, like, like um, you have to unteach those things yeah. when you're like, keep keep this, keep narrow, keep lean. You know, exactly. Like, find, like, no, have the curves, have the feminine form. And now I watch videos of myself, and I it looks so much better. And I see why the feedback is so much better because I am I'm a woman now yeah. and. Even in a space of three years, which was like from mm. 27 to 30, they're not really years when you develop into a woman oh, physically. Mm. I definitely developed into a woman kind of mentally yeah. in these years because I just like rediscovered my sexuality mm. and, and my power. And I think it is a super empowering art form because it's all on your terms. You know, you're teasing, you're taking it off when you feel like it. It's not for them. It's like a, it's a playful tease and it's all on your terms. And that in itself is very like, you feel very strong. Yeah. Every eye is watching you and they're waiting for when you decide to remove the next thing. And I think, and as well, I think the biggest kind of indicator for me that we were on the right track with the direction in burlesque, mm. which, which I was heading and the group was heading was, so my parents are pretty easygoing. Yeah, that was going to be my <laughs> Sorry. Because I, I also think about that so much. And I sometimes when I've been in environments, I think, like, well, my dad can't watch this. <laughs> well, my dad, he's actually, he's impressed me every step of the way. But it's, um, it is a funny thing that you do have at the back of your mind sometimes. 100%. And maybe it's also being British. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a real, I love my parents. I'm super close mm-hmm. to them. And like I said, they're not from a dance background, but they're huge lovers of the arts. Mm-hmm. So they love musical theatre. Our whole family is musical theatre obsessed. I also feel like if I'm not in a musical before I die, oh. I have not lived my life. Still time, still time. <laughs> <laughs> but they're very much of this. So they've been proud of whatever I do. So they really love my ballet years. But I think they also found it a tad boring at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I joined Palace, they really liked that yeah. because they were like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Cirque du Soleil meets musical theatre, meets showgirl. And they saw me coming out as the professional show off I am and they were like ah this really suits you and then when they heard that I'd quit my full-time job <laughs> and I was uh, you know going rogue with this burlesque group which like um, running away to the circus isn't it <laughs> literally running away with the burlesque circus I think my parents are a bit like they've always trusted me mm. and I have been lucky I've always landed on my feet somehow even if it was not yeah. the jump I expected um I think dancers tend to do that in general anyway yeah, yeah. Um, they, at one point they were like, you know, okay, well, we need to kind of see what you're doing. And then I think it was in like, I think it was, so it was, would have been the year after I left Palast. We were at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with De Glamouresque. And we've been there many years since, but it was kind of like the first time we were close to home. Yes, so course. my parents were like, okay, we're going to come up and see it. Mm. And my sisters had come to Berlin and watched it and they loved it. Mm. So I think my parents were, I think my mum was pretty like easygoing, but I think my dad was nervous. Mm. Because obviously we'd had a semi-argument about, but not really an argument, but we'd had like a heated discussion maybe, or just a heated word about the fact that, you know, I was saying it's an art form and he was like, but it's essentially stripping, isn't it? Like, and I was like, and he pissed me off and I was like, no, it's not. It's especially the way we do it. There's yeah. so many different facets to burlesque. It's yeah. such a And huge... it's easy to find out if you don't know, you just yeah. assume You've it's like on the spectrum. Yeah. So they came to the fringe before the show, I was nervous, and I saw he especially was nervous, my dad. 
because the thing is he can't lie to me so if he didn't like it he wouldn't be able to say I yeah. loved it he would be like I really don't like it yeah can you stop doing it <laughs> exactly um so anyway we did the show it went well and afterwards when we all went to the audience to do pictures and talk mm. my dad just came running up to me and he was just like oh my god it's incredible he was like it's so classy yeah. and so glamorous he was like god he was like because I had said to him um like a few weeks or months before I'd been like look I know that we're topless by the end mm but you won't notice it. And my dad was like, trust me. He was like, they will notice it. Those, the men in the house will notice it. They, they, will, they will not forget that. And he was like, you're absolutely right. He was like, really? after about like 20 minutes, I just stopped realizing mm -hmm. because just the art form, the comedy, there's a lot of comedy side, especially to some of the other girls' acts. Mm -hmm. My acts are mainly dance-based and kind of showgirl. And I think he just didn't realize that that was part of it. And I think this is the common misconception of yeah burlesque that there is just so much more to it especially the way we we choose to do it mm. and he just found it so glamorous and the reason he did it's because of the dance mm. and so I'm so thankful of having this background because now as a burlesque solo artist I'm also um the last year well before COVID <laughs> the year before that uh, I actually was making kind of nice kind of big steps in a successful direction as a solo artist yeah. as well like I traveled a lot and I was really lucky to be like and noticed as one of the top 30 in Europe in 2019. So I was like, wow, like, and it's because not that I have been in the business very long, but it's the dance training. Yeah. It comes back to that and every time. And it's just time. such a lovely, you're such a good example of, of we never stop growing and we never stop learning. And also it's so hopeful to know that because so many young people, and you know, it's, you never really know when you find your fit. You never really know when you find the right thing, but especially when you're young, it can just feel like you're wrong for everything and it's so like nice and refreshing to hear that like it doesn't it can you can evolve several times and find the right fit mm -hmm. and it comes when you're ready and you know you talking about in Semper where you were where you wanted to be it was thought, the yeah. official I've made it this is it can retire happy literally but yeah. then it doesn't last and you know you're like well actually it's all great and all that I've got a good name and that I've done the thing that my like 17 year old self wanted, but like, is it enriching you? Are you learning something? Are you living or are you just passively kind of there? And you, you're such a good example. And it's so inspiring to kind of hear that the journey and that it's not over until you say it's over and you can- It is quite a learn. weird journey. <laughs> no, but it's, it's good. And I think again, like we weren't, I wasn't really reminded about this at school that, that it is a marathon, not a sprint, and that the version mm -hmm. you leave school with is not the version you will continue to be for the rest of your career, my God. And and again, yeah, you're such a good example of, of oh, evolving you. through that process and taking bits with you and carving a space that didn't exist before. Thank you. <laughs> I, it's so funny because I've never, I never really planned anything either. Like like I said, my aim was to get to some proper. That was like as far as the plan went. And since that, it's been, um, what, about six or seven years since then. And it's just like, just gone rogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the happiness that has brought and, and just like what it's shown, I've just learned so much about myself, what I'm capable of. As a dancer, you have no idea what you're capable of because no one asks or expects it of you. Mm. And so you really limit yourself because of that. And I had no idea what I was able to do. I didn't know I could learn about lighting and write a tech writer. I mean, I'm still not good at that, but... <laughs> and um, yeah, I just think just being to create something mm. like that, it just dancing will have its day. I love being on stage more than anything else. But I'm hoping that right now what we're carving is something which will go on into the future. We've got a nice name, it's getting bigger. It'll be lovely one day to only produce and only create, do, you know, produce and direct this group and maybe, you know, lead the way for other younger dancers to come in and teach them our acts or, or whatever, I don't know. But 
for the first time ever, it just feels like I'm not, I'm relying on not just what I can, what, what my body can do. And there's actually like uh, more to it. And, yeah. and there was a niche in the market. So I'm so happy to have like, that we've managed to find it, just fall into it literally. <laughs> but I think, again, it's such a like, good example of like life preparing you for things, for your future without you knowing it. And that kind of, like you said, that it's school, you know, you were talking about Lido and then being the sexy swan and that sort of thread <laughs> that guides yeah. you and does tie it together was present. And I've had such similar experiences of, yeah. again, a teacher telling me like, oh, did you reckon see you with feathers? And being annoyed and being like, well, no, I want to be in a tutu. Like, yeah. how dare you say that? You say I can't do it and being mm-hmm. so sad. I'm like, now I can't get enough feathers on me. I love it. And you just change and you do take those things with you and... Um, you know, you're such a good example of someone I wish I heard and knew about when I was younger because I would have been so comforted by the fact that like it's not over until I say it's over. You can keep learning, you keep growing, and you keep finding your place. Exactly, and there's still so much I want to do. Like, I, there's I still want to still want to do a musical, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah, and still want to like you know travel the world with this wonderful art form, which I literally had no concept of until yeah. like six years ago when I just stumbled across it, little yeah. knowing that it would just become a huge chapter of my life. Amazing. Wow. And my final question, mm-hmm. what would you tell your younger self? If you met her at Elmhurst and she's like, you know, bun head in a tutu doing her <laughs> what would you tell her? Uh, I mean, we basically just touched upon it, but I think it's literally just that thing of like, you know, you are capable of so much more than you think you are and what you're told you are. And just keep an open mind. I think I've, in general, I've been quite good at that. I've just kind of you know, I kept my eyes open, kept good contacts. I, I'm definitely one who like always like tries to maintain a contact here and there, never knowing when I might need it. Yeah. And just kind of, yeah, being open to what's coming and, and be ready when an opportunity arises that, you know, that you are, your eyes are open wide enough to realize it and not be afraid to take it. And it probably almost certainly won't be the direction you thought. Um, yeah, if, if, 18 year old Charlie Elmhurst had heard this was the direction I think she'd have been like what the hell (laughs) but I feel very lucky that I really managed to do ballet for six years and then made the transition I'm really I'm I think we don't say it enough but I'm I'm proud Mm -hmm. of of my journey and I think yeah just stay open and um and don't limit yourself because we are so much more capable in every sense not just in the dance sense in a creative sense in a business Mm -hmm. sense we can, other industries respect dancers a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely having you at my kitchen table. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much.